0: Whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, uh, participating in our online campus, or at the Hopewell campus, it is always a privilege to be here with you. Uh, We're in our fourth and final week of our series, uh, Keys to a Blessed Life, and begun begun this journey just a few weeks ago looking at three other keys leading up to this fourth key, all of them independently important, and yet there is a, a building up, if you will. We understand that Jesus taught to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. These things, uh, our, our, our necessities, our, our, our spiritual, our, our physical, our, our needs uh, that God will take care of us. In fact, what he's teaching is simply put this way, put God's kingdom first and, and he literally will take care of us. And, and I think that's a message that is so important at all times, but especially today in our culture. I don't know if you've realized it, but we're in election season. Have you guys realized that? Uh, now, I have to be honest with you, since I was 18 years old, I realized it seems like we're always in election season. Uh, I would like to make a law that you can't even talk about it until maybe uh, a month out, but, but that would, would just sort of be me. Uh, but we're in election season. There's a lot of angst over the election, and, and, and I don't know if you've heard of a thing called a coronavirus. Has anyone heard of that? Yeah, I noticed most people are not shaking hands this morning. That's, that's probably wise. Uh, but, but you've heard about that, and that's a serious thing. The election is serious. The, the coronavirus is serious. And then, of course, uh, if you've been following the stock market, uh, by the way, it's a good thing not to have a ton of money because that doesn't affect me entirely. But when I looked at the stock market, it's dropped a little bit. Did you see that? And when we're like, I'm just here to give you good news this morning. That's my, that's my job, good news. Well, let me tell you this. God's stock is at an all-time high. And although these things are serious and we need to show wisdom in dealing with each of them, God is still on the throne. And he promises to fill his people with peace and power when we trust him. In fact, my prayer for us as a church family is that we will be the voice of reason and peace in the midst of the chaos. Don't let the world around you... Uh, the Phillips translation of Romans 12.2 12, 12, two says, squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus. Right, church? May we be the voice of reason. May we be the presence of peace. And you say, how can you do that when you put God's kingdom first, all these other things the Lord promises he will take care of? The Lord is quite capable of taking care of us. The God who who spoke the world into existence, these things which seem to trouble the world are no big deal to our God. Amen, church? Come on, get excited about it. You're going to be here all the way through next service, all right? That's good stuff. That's biblical truth. And so we're in these keys to a blessed life. We understand that when we come to Jesus and make a decision to receive him as Savior of our life, that we also receive him as the Lord of our life. But the reality is this, that every day after we make that decision, every single day, either we show ourselves to, to reinforce that reality that God is Lord, or, or, or it shows that we sort of deny it. And, and dare I say that each and every one of us in this room have moments where we, where we shine, and moments where we struggle and say, oh Lord help me, I realize I'm not trusting you. Now, this decision to trust God as Lord is not mostly a material decision or a physical decision. At its very core, it's a spiritual decision. And in other words, it's at the, at the core of the decision of really receiving God into our life as Lord and Savior and trusting him to, to, to lead our steps, but that's, that's, that's a decision made at the core of our, our being, our, our spiritual being, then reflected in every other area. And so the last and final key we want to look at this morning, key number four, is this. I must give the Lord the first fruits. I must give the Lord my first fruits. The key we looked at last week, God owns everything, ought to be translated into practical actions in giving and living. Many believers begin their journey... And they sort of come upon this fourth key, and that's where they begin the journey. And I just want to say to you that that's why I've said that all the other keys lead up to this one. Because if we don't understand key number one and accept it, that God must increase and I must decrease, the idea of giving the Lord my first fruits is going to be extremely difficult, if, if, In fact, if I don't understand this key of God increasing in my life and me decreasing in my life, then it's, it's going to be very difficult for me to work through the, the, the other two keys that we looked at, understanding that we need to have an undivided heart toward the Lord. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but that one challenges me sometimes. That one is really difficult sometimes. But if, if, if I'm not allowing the Lord to increase and me to decrease, which, by the way, gives the Holy Spirit freedom to transform my mind, to transform the way I think and act, I have no hope of having an undivided heart toward the Lord. Because my power to do so rests in him. Dare I say that the more of me in my life, the more I'm concerned about me. Has anyone found that to be True. And the less of me, the more of God, the more I can truly be a person that looks outward, trusting that God's already taken care of me. He has my back and I can look outwards. Well, if I don't understand that, that, that the Lord must increase and I must decrease, if I, if I haven't come to a place of this undivided heart with the Lord, at least saying, Lord, that's what I desire, there's no way I can wrap my mind around the fact that God owns everything. I'm gonna hold on to everything I have. Have you ever realized you don't have to tr- teach a child selfishness? Like, that's natural. Mine, right? I, I mean, it, it's sort of a natural thing. Now, now I have to admit, as, uh, this is sort of me, but, but when I look at children, they're playing with a toy, and another person comes and wants to play with that toy, and the parents go, oh, let them play with the toy too. I go, they had it first. Let the other kid find something else, you know? But in reality, that, that idea of holding, hoarding, It's so natural to us. In fact, the reality of it's not just a child thing. Let's be honest this morning. We all wrestle with that, don't we? Mine. And and so the Lord increases, we decrease, and all of a sudden we start to let go of things. And we say, Lord, no, 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 I want an undivided focus on you. And his peace and his power starts starts to rush us. And we go, Lord, you own everything anyway. It's not mine, it's yours. Then we come to a place of saying, Lord, help me give you the first fruits. Let me give you these things. No doubt, growing in Christ increases a believer's generosity, doesn't it? As we grow in him, we become more generous. So what do I mean by generosity? Really, if we boil down what we have, we only have time. We have talents and abilities. We, we have treasure. Some of us, you know, we, all of us have something. We have some type of possessions. And then we have our testimony, being able to share with people what God not only has, has done in our life, but what he continues to do in our life. And generosity is using our time, talent, treasure, and testimony for his glory and the benefit of others. As a matter of fact, God blesses us with time and, and talent and treasure and testimony to glorify him and bless others. That's why he has us possess these things. However, once we understand that God owns everything, here's the reality. We'll never really give to God again. That may surprise you. You say, why would you say that? You're you're talking about generosity and giving. Because God owns everything. And so we never really give to God. We return it. Like it's already his. And and we sort of return it to him. It's sort of like if you came into my house and wrapped up something I already owned and say, here's your present. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. You're not giving it. you're, You're returning it to me. And what we return to God Is a portion of what he has called us to steward and and caretake. And and really we don't give but return to the Lord the first fruits of of what he's given us. And, And that's just a powerful thing. Now, what do I mean by first fruits? The principle of first fruits is giving God the first and best of what we have. And what's really interesting is this like this example is given to us in the very second generation of humanity. It sort of blows my mind that Cain and Abel both gave back a return to God what had been given to them. It was a, it was a sacrifice that they made, and, and there's no Old Testament law at this point. This is going to come years later. We're not really sure exactly how they understood that they were to do such a thing, but they did. In fact, immediately in Genesis, immediately after the fall, where sin entered into the world, and with sin, the sin of greed... God instituted this returning first fruits to God. Since the sin of selfishness had, been, had entered into the world through the fall, God introduced this giving or this returning as a counter to greed. We need to give back to God then to maintain spiritual healthiness. Now, now catch this then. If that's true, and I believe it is, I believe the Bible sounds that out to be true, then giving the Lord our first fruits is for our benefit. Like, like God doesn't need it, He already owns it. It's to our benefit that we do this. When we give back to God a portion of what He's given us, our, our first fruits, it acknowledges that God owns everything, and this principle is found throughout the whole of Scripture. In fact, Jesus saw this so important that he stated plainly in Matthew 6:21 where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse has intrigued me for many years because I would think the conventional wisdom would be where your heart is, there your treasure will be. I mean, that seems to make more sense to me that your heart sort of gets there and your treasure follows and the Lord says, no, 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 where your treasure is, there your heart will be. How you act impacts who you are, impacts what you do, impacts the core of your being. In fact, when Jesus used the word heart, and most of the times when the word heart is used within scripture, it means the core of our being. That where our treasure is, that's a reflection of the core of our being. The center of our our thought, of our desires. And here's the simple truth. Jesus taught that your giving will reveal your heart and that your heart will follow your treasure. Jesus urged his disciples. He said, trust God. God. Our chief concern in life then isn't to, to amass worldly wealth, it's to amass heavenly treasures. Now, by the way, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having things. How many of you like things? How many of you who are able to drive here like driving here instead of walking here? You know, I enjoy getting up this morning and having a lukewarm shower. Three people took a shower before me, so it was only lukewarm, but it, but it wasn't cold, so I was, I was thankful. I was thankful for that. I was thankful for that. Things aren't bad. In fact, the scripture says if you're able to make money, make money. It, it's not about money, it's not about things. It's about where our heart is with those things. Our heavenly treasure has, has eternal value, and, and all the things we accumulate don't. But the only two things that really matter for eternity is God and people. You can take nothing else with you. Besides your relationship with God and the people who we influence for the kingdom, what we work for shows on, what we work for shows on what or whom we have set our heart. And we think about that. In that sense, our giving is a measure of our spirituality. Now, don't get me wrong. People have tried to measure spirituality for years, and it's not really my job to measure your spirituality, your job to measure my spirituality. I mean, we keep each other accountable, but it's not our job to play God or Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, many of us look for things that sort of say, what indicates if I'm growing in Christ? And it appears in Scripture that one of those things that really, really sort of helps determine for us if we're growing in Christ is our ability to give if we're becoming more generous. How many of you would understand God is a giving God? And we can be no more like God than when we're giving. Now, don't get me wrong, you, you can give back to God and not love him, isn't that true? There's many reasons to give back to God. In some church traditions, when the offering's taken, people come up front and put in the offering plate, and you can imagine back in the day when people actually carried cash, that if you came up front and you wanted to be seen as somebody, maybe you'd put a big wad in there, you know, make sure people saw it, just for, sort of, you know, so everyone knew exactly what you put in there, you know. That, that would be a purpose some people give because they think they want people to see that they're just giving, right? And that's sort of self-seeking. It's not like godly giving. Others give out of fear. I Man, if I don't give, God's going to whack me, you know. And so you could give to God and not really love him, right? but I don't believe you can love God and not grow in giving. I just, I've seen that in my own life, I see that throughout scripture. See, giving our first fruits to God acknowledges that God owns everything and can really provide evidence that our heart is his. In Paul's letter to to the believers in Corinth, it's his second letter to them, and he writes about the giving practices of the Macedonian believers, and in 2 Corinthians 8, two through five, listen to what he writes. I find this verse to be quite (laughs) spectacular. Because not only do the Macedonians give, but they have little to give. Did you catch that? They didn't give out of their much. They gave out of their little. And not only did they give out of their little, they begged to give more. Can you imagine that? Like, when I think I'm being generous, all I have to do is go back to this passage and go, That's generosity. Like, I have never in 28 years of pastoral ministry ever had someone come to me and beg to give. (laughs) I just haven't. I haven't. I haven't said, no, we don't need it. No, the kingdom doesn't need it. And they go, oh, please, please let me give more. That's exactly what happened here. And you can see Paul and the crew say, look, you've already been generous. (laughs) You don't have much as it is. And the Macedonian believers saying, oh, no, 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 we're wealthy in Christ. We've got to take part in helping. And, and when you understand the, the context, there were saints in other parts of the world who were in this time of famine. And these Macedonians had little, said, oh, I know I have more than them. You've got to take this to them. That, that just, it blows my mind. Now, understand that the giving wasn't just in Money. Again, we have time and, and talent and, and, and testimony. It says that they, they gave in this, in this way that, he says, beyond what they could imagine, they gave to the Lord first and then to others. That They, they blessed Paul and his companions by just pouring into them in other ways. Again, the Macedonians had little, but, but gave much out of love for the Lord's glory and the benefit of others. And I want to go back to where I started. If we don't embrace key number one, where the Lord increases in our life and we decrease, That just doesn't happen. If we don't allow the Lord to to begin to consume us and the Spirit's influence on our life, there's no way king number two, this undivided devotion to the Lord becomes a part of who we are and and, and our desire. And then we can't wrap our mind around God owns everything. There's no way we're going to get to a first roots mindset, at least not in a right mindset. We may do it out of fear, we may do it out of recognition but we won't truly do it out of love. And in this sense, and a first fruit mindset is born out of giving yourself to God first. That before we give anything else, we we seriously come to the Lord. Romans 12:2, we looked at, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, don't be let it squeeze you into its mold. Romans 12:1 says, what is our spiritual act of worship? It's it's to give God our whole self. God, here I am. I'm yours think about that. Here I am, I'm, I'm yours. So Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 writes about the Macedonians. In 2 Corinthians 9 7, he, he writes this. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So he gives this example of the Macedonians the very next chapter. He's basically saying, hey, let's follow their example, team. Let's, let's be like those who are being transformed into the image of Christ. And I've heard some people say, well, I don't have to give until I'm cheerful about it. Right? The Lord loves a cheerful giver. That's, that's not what the verse is saying, by the way. Remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Let your heart follow your obedience in Christ. And in fact, when Paul writes that God loves, another way of interpreting that would be that God approves of, that God loves, he approves of joy-motivated giving. He approves of, of this wonderful, sort of these sacrificial living of saying, God, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of me. But here's the question What act or what spiritual discipline is there that allows us to develop this first fruits mindset? In fact, that really embodies the first fruits mindset. The spiritual discipline, which has existed since the calling out of God's people in the Old Testament, That God has used to transform our thinking and actions from a mindset of scarcity to one of first fruits is the giving of the tithe. Now the purpose of tithing is to teach us that to always put God first in our lives. Now what's the tithe? I'm glad you asked. The word tithe means a tenth or ten percent. In the Bible, God tells us we're to give the first ten percent of all we have back to, to him. Giving less than 10% isn't a tithe. Giving more than 10% isn't actually a tithe. A tithe is 10%. Now, where should I give my tithe? Well, the Bible's sort of clear on this in Christian tradition as well. We're to give the tithe as an act of worship to our place of worship. Malachi 3.10, first part of the verse says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And then the Bible says we're to do this consistently as an act of worship. 1 Corinthians 16.2 on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now, what's the difference then between tithing and, and offerings? Well, again, the tithe is, is the first 10%. It's, it's given to, to the church where you worship. It's, it's, it's an act of worship to the place where you worship and, and to be used for God's kingdom. An offering is what you give above the tithe. So, biblically speaking, if, if you haven't given the tithe, then the offering isn't necessarily a biblical offering. It's an offering, but not a biblical offering. Biblical offering is above the tithe. And it's given as, as a way of, of saying thanks to so the what the Macedonians had done. They had already given. They said, but I've got to give more. Our hearts moved for these people. We need to do something. The sharing and caring offering here at the church is that. Above our tithes and offerings, many of us give to the caring and sharing fund, that helps people who are financially need within our own body. It's above and beyond. We say we, have, we want to help. It's maybe giving to ministries outside this church. We, we partner with Carinet, the CCIA Food Pantry, and we do that as a church family through the giving. A portion of all giving goes to those things. But maybe yourself, you say, I, mean, I just feel led to, to give an offering to those places. In the days of the Old Testament and the New Testament, as of today, it was a struggle to give the tithe. It was a challenge. I, I think some people are more naturally givers than others, but those who are naturally givers, I think, is a very small minority since only 5% of the American church tithes. And so when we think about that, it's, it's a struggle and it makes sense because what are you doing? If you're a farmer, you're saying, I going to give the first 10%, the best of my crop, the first of my crop to the Lord. And I'm going to trust that even another 90% comes and, and can take care of me and my family. How many of you think that's a trust? You're a shepherd. And your first 10% that are born that year, you say, I'm going to give that to the Lord. The first 10, the best, you, you don't give the, the ones that like are born and, and like are, uh, aren't, aren't as perfect as they can. You take the best. In fact, over and over in Scripture, there's these challenges because you can imagine there were shepherds who would go, I'm going to give this one. I don't think it's going to last long anyway. I'm going to give that. And the Lord says, Don't, don't. that's not trusting me. Your, your business endeavors. There's, there's no doubt that this is a, is a challenge for all of us, it's a challenge for me. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of trust, it's stepping out in, in faith. But the God who spoke the world into existence proves himself to be true. In fact, it's interesting because oftentimes we say, do not test the Lord. And why do we say that? Because Jesus said that to Satan. You remember Satan tempted Jesus and Jesus said, don't put the Lord thy God to the test. But do you know there's one place in Scripture where the Lord says, test me? He says, test me in this. It's in finances. It's with the tithe. He says, test me and see if I won't bless you. Now that blessing may not be material, it may not be with the new car you want, but but let me tell you something, peace is the most valuable thing. It's the highest commodity on earth. And the Lord says, let me fill you with spiritual blessings. Let me take care of you. Test me in this. That's why again, tithing is a spiritual discipline used by God to really transform our lives from this scarcity mindset to, to trust him and that he will provide. Now, some have noted that in the New Testament, in the New Testament, that, that, that all the scriptures but one do not mention the tithe. And, and I'll say that's true. It's true. Only one verse in the New Testament ever mentions the tithe. And I'll see people get excited about that, and they'll say to me, I'm a New Testament giver then. But let me share this with you before you give a sigh of relief, <laughs> Every other mention of tithing in the scripture does not use the tithe as that low a threshold. I want to say that again. Don't raise your hand. How many of us see 10% as a high threshold? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. In the New Testament, they saw it as a low one. It was like a benchmark, but it, wasn't a, it was a starting place for them. And so if you want to be a New Testament giver, go for it. We should be. It's all his anyway. Anyway. How do we allow ourselves to step into these keys to a blessed life? I want to share with you four things. So first is this. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Do life with other believers. That that really transformation and and community happens really greater in circles than in rows. This is important, but small small groups are important too. Get in a one-on-one relationship. Get in a one-on-one relationship. I shared at the beginning of the series that these four keys we looked at come from the one-on-one um, material that we use, uh, directly from the one-on-one material. And last night, I came into church, Saturday night service, and there were two couples coming out of two rooms, and, and I found out that they were doing one-on-one, uh, one-on-one uh, discipleship last night together. And I said, where are you at? And they said, well, so they didn't know what I was preaching on tonight. They, that, that last night. They said, what, what are you at? And they said, well, we just talked about the tithe. And I said, well, you're about to get another hour of that. And so, you know, and they... They okay, said, so well, we, we're ready for it. We, we enjoyed our study. I said, that's good, because otherwise it's going to be a painful night for you. But it was so neat to see them growing together. We also have something here called Financial Peace University, and that's a class that offers financial education that helps create biblical behaviors that let us really master our finances. We don't want our, ma- our finances to master us. We want to master our finances. And we realize that in our culture, 80% of our culture struggles with finances, And so sometimes I think people don't go to Financial Peace University because they're afraid that someone's going to judge them, and really only 20% of the room could but should not judge you. 80% would say, yeah, I should be there with you. In fact, in our culture, Financial Peace University should be packed every time because of just the testimony after testimony of people finding freedom. Do you realize one of the, the greatest struggles in marriage relationships is finances, so why not go to Financial Peace University and get that one taken care of? because there's a lot of other ones to wrestle through, right? Let that one be taken care of. If you want more information on any of these three things, all you need to do is go to Crosswind Central, whether you go online or out by the coffee shop or the uptown lobbies. Go and ask. Take that step. And, 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 and allow these keys to a blessing to fill your life. And the fourth one is us. Take the 90-day tithing challenge. I want you to look up at the screens to learn more about this challenge.
1: 10 records an amazing promise from God. He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. For many, the idea of giving a tithe or the first 10% of our income to God through his church can seem a little overwhelming. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much or how little we make. God promises to pour out His blessings on us when we choose to tithe. The truth is, God owns it all anyway. Think about it this way. It's like God is saying, bring me the first tenth of all that you have, the first dime of every dollar, and then go and be good stewards of the 90% I have entrusted to you. If you haven't started tithing yet, we want to extend to you the 90-day tithe challenge. And if you are already tithing, we want to encourage you to sign up anyway and challenge others by your willingness to trust God and His faithfulness to His Word. Generosity is always a huge step of obedience, but it's a step toward giving our whole heart to God. After you sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge, we would love to hear stories of how you've seen God at work supernaturally meeting your needs. As you are faithful, He too is faithful. All the information to join is listed on the half sheet you'll find in a seat near you when you arrived in today. We believe in the promises of God so much that if you join this challenge, we have our own promise for you. If you tithe for 90 days and God doesn't hold true to His promises, we will refund 100% of your time. So will you join us?
0: I don't think I've ever heard a better triple dog dare in all my life. When you came in on your seats, you may have picked this up, and if God's calling you to take that challenge, or maybe you're already and you say, I'm just going to fill it out because I'm going to continue to be a part of that, uh, I, I encourage you, fill this out. Place it in the boxes in the back as you leave, or bring it back next week, pray about it this week, put it in the offering plate. You say, why do you have to fill this out? Well, if you read it, you'll realize because in order to get 100% back, we have to have records you actually gave. That would probably be an important thing. Uh, Otherwise, uh, some other things could be taking place that we don't want to encourage. Uh, And and so I I, I just encourage that for you. I encourage that to you. Now understand two things as I wrap up this morning. I don't know how much you give and you don't know how much I give. This isn't about any of us playing God in your life. But the Lord preached about money more than anything else but the kingdom of God itself. And you say, why is that? Because it is the stronghold over many of our lives. It, it, it is the barrier from allowing the Lord to increase and, and us decrease. It's the barrier of giving our undivided heart to God. It, it's a barrier of letting us say, no, God, this is really yours. And having that first root mindset. First root mindset is all about trusting God and allowing the provisions of heaven to fill us. And so I just encourage you, prayerfully consider this. Prayerfully consider this. It's for your benefit, not God's. God is not going bankrupt. But many of us are spiritually going bankrupt because we cease to trust him. So I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray for us because I know God wants to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. No matter how big you can dream, and I'm a big dreamer, he wants to do more than that in and through us. And the first step, remember, is giving ourselves to him. It's not giving everything up; it's giving ourselves first. And if you haven't done that, you haven't received Christ as Lord and Savior, start there. Start there even this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for calling us here this morning to worship. We worship you when we sing, we worship you when we greet each other, we worship you when we pray, we worship you, Father, when we explore your word. You're worthy of the worship. We thank you, Lord, for our identity in you, that we're your children. And Lord, I pray even this morning, if there's someone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, in the quietness of our heart, even now they would say, Lord, I receive you. I take that first step. Lord, I ask that you would help us take the next step that we are called to take with you. Whatever that step is, wherever we find ourselves this morning, but we just take that next step you're leading us on, that we would trust you with that. And Lord, in a world filled with chaos, may the peace that you pour into our lives allow us to be a voice of reason and a provider of a a foretaste of your peace to the world around us. God, thank you for blessing our time of gathering. And as we scatter, Lord God, I pray that you would just use us to really uh, make a difference in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, that you be given the glory. Thank you for loving us so completely. You are so worthy of our trust. You're so trustworthy. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.